0: Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we dissect the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here, and joining me to argue the toss over some of the most important recent controversies in the world of sport, we have David Gill. G'day to you, Bear. G'day, Richie. Uh Simon Johnson. Hello, Jono.
1: Love a controversy. G'day, Roachie. And our man
0: embedded deep in the self-described sporting capital of the world is Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles.
2: Hey, Paul. Hey, everyone.
0: Now, uh, before we begin, I want to report a case of sport exploiting volunteer labour yet again. Been a bit of an issue lately. I attended a live AFL game recently, and I watched closely at halftime as a, like a multitude of young kiddies spilled out onto the field to entertain the masses, along with the deafening music and ads that seem to fill every break in a sport uh, these days in the live environment. Thank you very much. Uh, and I wondered, are these kids being paid? Well, of course not. It's outrageous. Modern slavery. It, it is. And you know, you know how I know they weren't being paid? because one of those kids was mine. And yes, it's all just a smoke screen for sneaking uh. in the fact that Miles kicked a seven-year-old. Kicked a goal in front of 33,500 people at halftime in the Swans, Giants... Game. He kicked a goal. Kicked a goal. Fantastic. Did he, uh,
3: did he, have a, did he celebrate it?
0: Uh, yeah, just in, in the way seven-year-olds did. It, it, Played it cool. Yeah, exactly. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. And managed to get a photo of the kick. Not the goal, but of the kick. That is brilliant. Well yeah. done, Cal. What, what, what about you? Uh,
2: action star. Yeah,
0: exactly. Rise. have you got a proud sporting parent moment?
2: Oh, of course I do. Of course. It's interesting. My, my kids are not great big fans of sport, I've got to say. Yeah, much to my disappointment Mm. and shame as a parent maybe (laughs) but um i but but my beautiful daughter is a football grand final winner uh in the under 11s yeah she and her team won 2-1 in an incredibly tight grand final now the interesting thing about that is that that was AFL. I was going to ask, <laughs>
0: the use of the word football, it was a bit confusing. <laughs> you go. Exciting game to no, watch.
2: Oh look, I, tried, I did try, I did try to, to, to throw you off the scent, but <laughs> I can tell you a 2-1 game of, of AFL is one of the most exciting games to sport yeah, ever, especially
0: con- when you win. It's ho- it's constantly <laughs> on a knife edge. It's one kick away from a complete, yeah. From r- a blowout. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jono, Jono, proud sporting yeah, moment. Yeah, so my 10-year-old Amelia,
1: I've, I've become a hockey dad this year, so oh. she started playing field hockey and um, is really getting into it. She's two games to the good, and on the weekend, she actually scored her first goal. She actually got hey. two goals. Oh. Nice. Um, you shouldn't ask what the score of the game was, though. <coughs> 2-1? Fifteen three. <laughs> 3 She had a great time, the so world well done, Amelia. Now, Gilly, you've actually coached one of your kids to greatness,
0: haven't you?
3: I'm not sure about greatness, Roji.
0: Not sure about greatness. Mm, okay, well, go on. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so not sure we, proud, proud sporting parent moment so well I did have
3: a, I did have a, a proud sporting moment on the weekend after drilling into my uh, under 15 girls team the importance of the midfielders running box to box Jemima j- did just that and arrived there just in time to tuck away a crucial goal oh. midway through the
0: first half oh look at this very very proud oh. of it wow common
3: theme let's do a whole show should, on. Do,
1: should do this every
0: show <laughs> from, <laughs> from us folks we won't alright coming up in the show the shortest lived major sporting competition in his the European Soccer League, where Super League. Sorry, it's not the first time I've done that. The European Super League, where it all went wrong. Uh, India's health crisis has brought to light some harsh realities of the IPL. We'll look at some of those. Also, an important update on last show's discussion on private equity in rugby uh, from both sides of the Tasman, actually, and this conference system being proposed for the NRL. Of course, we end the show with red card, yellow card, where we dredge up the off-field indiscretions of the sports world's finest. Don't forget to use the... Hey, that do action. you
2: reckon any of our kids are going to get nominated?
0: Ah, uh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought that far ahead. Ho-
1: hopefully <laughs> not. Uh,
0: on the socials, on Twitter, it's at and against underscore for 4andagainst And if you're old school, email and All at hotmail.com. Alrighty, let's get into it. So the world's biggest clubs try to get a whole lot bigger and a whole lot more exclusive. And it lasted all of two days. Quite the palaver in the football world. Bear, what do you make of it? Where do you begin on this one? It's hard to know where where to begin exactly. Um, And I don't want to speak to
3: everybody, but I think the general sentiment out there is that this was an egregious abomination. And people have spoken a lot about money corrupting football. I think we need to be a little bit careful about that because I think the commercialisation of football and the money that that has brought has done a lot of... Good things for football mm-hmm. in the last twenty years. So I don't want to, I don't want to go too extreme on saying that money has ruined football. Um, but I think I think the the straw that broke the camel's back with the ill-fated European Super League was this concept of non-relegation mm. of protecting the the sixteen founding founding members. Stuck in the craw a bit, didn't it? It really did. Um, so um, football historian David Goldblack David Goldblatt used the phrase um, ineradicable inequality," and this, um, in the in the context of the history of football and its its long held tradition of promotion and relegation and merit and, a, and an even playing field, leading to a cultural desecration. Mm. Um, and uh, I think in- ineradicable, Did you say is it as in not able to eradicate the? Exactly. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, it's a hard, hard word to say. Mm. But sounds impressive. Well did yes. well there. <laughs> sounds impressive. But I think
2: it's a hard I, word to listen to. <laughs> yes. I'll,
3: I'll, ultimately, I think this is this is a happy story and something. It, it's, it's, no, I think it gives us out. it gives us um, cause for optimism mm. because the fans have been exploited um, for a long time, especially the English fans, uh, and they've not stood up for themselves. And this time, they did, and the will of the fans was irresistible. And the owners of the football clubs realised that there was a breaking point. And is it okay to get a little bit of emotional oh, for, please, for, please, for please, a few moments? Sense I, it in your voice. I was thinking about what drew me to football in the first place. So we mm-hmm. all remember being kids, um, late 70s, early 80s. And the one game of football that you watched every year, if you are in Australia, or in my case, South Africa, was the FA Cup final. Yep. Okay. And that was that was a great event. And you remember... The, that, bright, that famous bright green field. You remember the Twin Towers of Wembley. You remember the bright colours of the teams as they walked out onto that pitch. But the one thing that stood out and made soccer different, and I think a lot of people would say the same thing, is the noise of the crowd, that unique chanting and singing and just brilliant roaring sound for the full 90 minutes. Uh, and the fans have always been a, a critical part of the cocktail they were ignored, they were pushed too far, and they said no. So I think, I, I'm not sure where this is going to go, and it's certainly not the end of the story, but I think from that perspective, it's something to be happy about and, and optimistic about.
1: Is it is it possible that we're watching a, um, a trilogy, though, Bear, and this is Star Wars, and we're going to have Empire Strikes Back shortly? I mean, I, it, it is, I totally agree that um, fan power, it was brilliant to see. And the most recent example, obviously, the Manchester United fans storming the pitch, probably went a little bit too far there. Mm. But if you look at the numbers, I mean, I was looking at the the financials involved here. You've got some of the most powerful, supposedly wealthy owners and clubs in European football, and they're massively in debt. So you've got Manchester United now carrying six hundred and thirty million US dollars in debt. Um, Barcelona on the verge of bankruptcy. Real Madrid one point oh eight billion billion in the red, Inter and Juventus $550 million. That's that's not going to go away. So I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts and the panel's thoughts as to, you know, what's next.
3: I think fair, def, definitely a fair, uh, a, a fair point. And one thing that did stick in the craw a little bit during the events after the announcement was the parade of... Um, ex premier league footballers kind of getting onto their soapbox and becoming socialists for for a fortnight
1: <laughs> in their 5000 pound suits. Yeah,
3: because one of the one of the issues with the premier league and with european football in general is that every club's wage bill accounts for 60, 70, 80% of its revenue. Maybe that has to change and maybe if we if we're going if we really want to change things fundamentally in football the wage structure needs to change a little bit. The other thing is that we're in the middle of the pandemic, and they none of these clubs had their fan revenue for well, you know, one and a half seasons now. That's that's hit them very hard. And the other thing is that maybe their 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 their, their appetites were a bit too big, and they went a bit too far, and the the TV revenue can't grow anymore.
2: Dave, where would you send the 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 uh, the revenue if you weren't sending it to the players?
3: I'm not I- – I think what may need to happen if there's less TV revenue, uh, if there's less fan revenue, that the the players just need to be paid less, and that will help to to balance the or, or get the clubs balance sheets into order.
2: Yeah, I think you're living in dreamland. <laughs> I, I think uh, that, that that's just not going to happen. The empire will strike back. Simon's spot mm. on. But what they're going to do is they're going to be a bit smarter about it. They're not going to leave Wouldn't be um, you know, a great big target that an X-Wing can fly down and blow up the whole Death Star <laughs> in two days, right? They're going to think about this. And, and I think you almost got it right, so well done, by saying <laughs> that this was because they uh, forgot about relegation. What they really forgot about was promotion. What they really forgot about was hope. You know, they forgot mm. about West Ham. Back when they were a second division team winning the FA Cup in 1980, they forgot about the small guy in the fourth division getting through to the semis of the FA Cup. And you could reel off a couple Colchester did it, if I remember, in the 90s. You know, I I think that the, the big thing they missed out on was how do you let a little guy join that group, you know? So... You know, when you don't give Leicester City the chance to win the Premier League and then join the Super League, mm. you cut off your nose despite your face. right? And I think that's where they messed up. And they will come back because you know, money does talk. Money will attract the best players. and They'll figure out a way to give a share to UEFA and win FIFA and they'll be fine. But you know, it, I, I, it, it's really interesting to have, see how many high horses there were mocking us. <laughs> but if they gave the little guy a chance to climb to the pinnacle and play with Real Madrid and Barcelona and AC Milan, then they'd, they'd all be back in the game.
3: But, but how can that happen without a rationalisation of the, the wage structure? Because great examples that you gave, but that was West Ham in 1980. It was Southampton betting Manchester United in 1976. But that hasn't happened for decades now. And part of the issue is that the pay disparity between the top leagues in Europe and the lower leagues or the top nations in Europe and the lesser nations is so wide now that clubs. the clubs? Yeah, the chances of those kinds of upsets happening has has disappeared. And for that to happen, you need to you need to spread the pie more evenly.
1: I was going to say, is, is there a way of spreading the pie though that involves um, revenue not necessarily coming from the club? So we talk about, Media rights or sponsorship rights? Isn't that? Don't we need to look at a way of ensuring the players can be paid individually outside and recompensed outside of the um, the club's wage structure? By the action by, by by the Premier League directly, or by, by sponsors directly?
0: So third party payments? Yeah,
1: the old rugby league approach, mm,
0: the the brown paper bag. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, this is part of the problem, right? What you what you are proposing, Gil? Sorry, Ross, just a sec. Is that is do you want to head to a draft? salary cap kind of situation. Because that's how you get, uh, that's how you manage wages. That's how you control what people are getting paid. Um, and because at the moment, basically, you know, football is by and large a free for all, certainly Premier League's a free for all with respect to, to payments. So there's, there's the FIFA fair play rules and so forth. But it's the reason you have a concentration of, of talent and therefore um, success at those top few clubs is because they're rich clubs, right? There's a direct correlation between the money you have and, and successful you are, generally speaking. Whereas if you have a you know an, an AFL or an NFL style competition that tr- attempts to equalise the play, the playing field, is that what you're advocating? Because I'm not sure no, there's middle ground. No, I'm not. I'm not really advocating that. I think going
3: back to to what we were discussing at the beginning was what. Why did the, these clubs feel like they had to do this? Greed was one part of that, but also their financial situation was another part. I, I, I'm not necessarily advocating even pay for footballers across all 96 teams in professional football in England, I realise that's not going to happen. Um, but for these clubs to address their issues in another way, then maybe the top-paid players need to be paid less or, as you suggested, get paid in a different way. A, a lot of these clubs, I mean, we talk about the the greed of the clubs and the profit motives of the of the clubs. That may be true in the case of and Manchester United who are privately owned. Clubs like Barcelona, Bayern Munich, they're not privately owned. They're owned by their members. They're not necessarily there to make a profit. So there is another way of of looking at this. So I'm a, I'm not I'm I'm not suggesting even pay.
2: Yeah, I hope not, because you know, while I think you're excellent at fantasy football, I think your idea of a fantasy football league is <laughs> uh, yeah makes no sense. Fantasy. Um I, I still come back to that you actually Want rich clubs and poor clubs, you know, and and the reason for that is the romance. It is the the underdog taking on you know the 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 soulless corporate beast, and, and I and I think that brings some of the magic. I mean, the the EPL's got it already, where they still draw mm, gazillions of dollars with Man United playing against you know Brighton or. Uh, um, or in the FA Cup, it, it still works. So it's not about equalising; it's about giving giving a chance for others to to join in and and be mm. part of those those big things. I, I think it'd be really interesting if the European Super League does take off, and and I think it will. I think they'll find a way uh, at some point. It'll be interesting to see if it holds, right? Because once it becomes a a, a league and You know, if Tottenham, you know, comes bottom of that league uh, a number of times, a good player is still going to go there because they want to be in the Super League. Or will they come back and play for the top side in the EPL, you know, Leicester City and uh, and dominate there? I, I don't know. Commerce has a funny way of evening these things out.
0: On the, uh, on the Tottenham note, if you haven't already, it's worth Googling the Noel Gallagher interview, uh, who <laughs> was interviewed on this subject. It's only about a 60-second clip. And, Oasis uh, uh, guitarist. Correct, yeah. yes. And, uh, yeah, he's a Man City fan. I understand if Man U gets in, and even Liverpool, but Tottenham? What, what are they <laughs> doing in there? What are they doing in there? But, Steve, it won't happen again. It, and this is to the point. It won't happen again, mate, because the fans have spoken and the fans have enough power that, it, that it, they won't allow it to happen because they want that hope. And I think it's a really good point you make. It's not about the fear of relegation as, as much as it's about the the possibility of, 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 of promotion and, and getting into the FA Cup and so on and so forth. And I think, and this is exemplified beautifully by um, the head honcho of JP Morgan, who were bankrolling this, uh, who admitted it, it uh, quote, probably didn't quite realise the passion involved from the fans. And I think it's Jamie Diamond, Demon, not sure how you pronounce it, was quoted in the Wall Street Journal saying Diamond. Yeah, thank you. I'm not an expert in European sports, but hey, you know, he's for full Bill anyway. Mm-hmm. But obviously fans have views and opinions that we kind of missed a little bit. That we kind of missed a little bit, quote unquote. Great moments in understatement. That obviously then went to trot out the usual platitudes about learning from this and, and so forth. Um so, yeah, I mean, if someone, the head of the major investment bank who's, you know, as I say, shelled out four bill, hasn't done their DD on what the fans think, I think it's pretty full. It's it's, hub- it's hubris, isn't it? Like, it's the, the the is it is there a difference between that and arrogance? But what do you reckon, Steve?
2: Well, no, I was just going to say, you know, I'll, I'll throw to Dave on this because I think his, uh, his emotional opinion will be, you know, spot on in this regard. But just how wrong do you think the executives So, JP Morgan is one thing, right? Yeah, you know, uh, Jamie Diamond doesn't know anything about football. Yeah, you know, we probably could have bet on that. That uh, Ed Woodward got it wrong is mm. fascinating. Yeah, you know? what do you think, Dave?
3: Well, do you think he really had a say? Uh, I think it probably would have ooh, been, been ooh. led by by the the Glazer family, who I guess are really the um, the death star that you talk about.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, did you see John W. Henry's uh, apology? The, the owner of the Boston Red Sox, you know, a, a guy that's renowned for being, you know, quite clever. He was, he brought, uh, he's the guy that took um, money ball from the Oakland A's. He took the technique, brought it to the Boston Red Sox and won their first world series in, I want to say 90 years.
0: Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, have a look. Yeah, after you watch the Noel Gallagher video, watch John Henry apologize for getting this wrong. It's, it's really classy. And uh, I think he's kicking himself for not, not reading what people wanted.
0: Okay, so harsh punishments are required as far as I'm concerned. So these clubs transgressed, some executives have already got the boot or done the right thing and disappeared. Um, and while you're Googling folks, I recommend Jonathan Liu's column in the Guardian from well, when this is all happening. Uh, and uh, I think the EP, it was quoting the EPL, it was quoting the EP people from the EPL. We are determined to establish the truth of what happened and hold those clubs accountable. Uh, wrote to all the clubs following requesting info. Once we have the required info, we'll consider what appropriate steps to take. Clearly, what happened was unacceptable. And I really hope that that unacceptability, if that's a word, is demonstrated in the punishments that these clubs are dished out.
1: What are you thinking, though? Like docking points or surely not being kicked out of their comps? Well,
0: no, that defeats the purpose. Yeah, uh, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't sort of gone that far, but I just, as a concept... I want to see some meaty punishments, not just don't do that again, folks. I'm not going to suggest anything. <laughs> <laughs> Being a devout man, you fan. It's
2: all right, Dave. It, Paul just made you look good. <laughs> and we were talking about Fantasyland. What are they going to do?
0: I am the European Super League to your UEFA, Gilly. I've just made you look good. Um, and now, listen, just before we leave Renegade Leagues, Jono, possibly not quite in the same league, pun not so much intended as hard to avoid, is your beloved golf. Have you seen this? A mooted Super Golf League. No. What an appalling name that is. Funded by (laughs) Saudi Arabia. So 10 out of 10 for bad timing, right? Mm. But at least they know how to go all in on their their reaction, PGA that is, because they've threatened to immediately suspend and and give out career bans to their players. Mm. And guess what? Greg Norman is reported to be advising the (laughs) Saudi Arabians. That's a shock. So basically, the top ten sort of sort, well, the top X money, many. I think was it for? It doesn't matter. Top X many have sort of wanted to go off and form their own league. Mm. But so what the PJ's done is they've created a forty million dollars bonus pool for its ten biggest stars, known as the Player Impact Program. And get this—it's a recognises and rewards players who contribute to the um, who move the needle. Actually, it says.
1: Be Ricky Fowler after last week's last month's show.
0: There's, be there's right
2: Ricky there. Fowler. They were listening to our show. They were
0: listen to this criteria as to how people are paid though. The bonus is paid to these golfers based on their position in the FedEx point uh, FedEx Cup points ranking. That makes sense. A player's popularity in Google searches, a player's Nielsen brand exposure rating, a player's Q rating, letter Q. I don't know what that is. I think it's something about their appeal. Uh, I don't know how they derive that. Plays player's MVP index rating, which is something about engagement on social and digital, and Meltwater Mentions. Meltwater is a company that monitors social media mentions.
1: And how many semi-nude pics they have on Instagram, <laughs> like Greg Norman or, or not?
3: Ricky, Ricky Fowler just got an exemption to the PGA, so,
0: mm, <laughs> so <laughs> that's <laughs> <got, laughs> That got shut down really quick, so hats off to the PGA for dealing with renegade, uh, a renegade clip. But for me, back to the, the soccer, in the final in finality, for me it just proved that Brexit failed because half the dirty dozen slated for the European Super League were British. (laughs) Uh, The IPL, much of the Asian continent, managed the drama of 2020 particularly well, but as we know, COVID has now gripped India in truly unprecedented numbers, and this has caused the cancellation or postponement or suspension, depending on what you read and when you listen to this, of the lucrative IPL. It must be difficult to make that call when... By some estimates, the BCCI looks like losing something like $300 million uh, by taking this action,
1: Jono. Yeah, look, from my perspective, too little, too late. I mean, it was pretty jarring, don't you think, um, watching and reading about the IPL um, at the same time you saw those figures as far as the daily case numbers and the, the truly appalling and horrifying situation that has been happening and continues to happen in India. I, I found it pretty awful. Um, And uh, there's so many things you can talk about coming out of this. Mm. The interesting thing for me a little while ago was when Pat Cummins, who, you know, Australia's highest paid IPL player, I think he was on a salary of $3.2 million for what was it? Six weeks work, eight weeks work. So big dollars. And he got on the front foot and actually said that he was going to make a donation of $50,000. So 50 out of 3.2. Nice donation, Pat. But I mean. You know, I'm a cynical person at the best of time, Richie. <laughs> I, I think he. have well, got you on the show, Johnny. Eh? But he, um, it just, it really smacked of, of something very convenient. They're obviously the whole tournament. I think were particularly worried about public perception. The fact that it went on as long as it did, without being cancelled, I think was terrible. And now, now we've got the issue of you know players trying to get home, um, and it's just, it, it's terrible. It's been an absolute unmitigated disaster.
0: Steve, I'm sure you've got an opinion on this.
2: This, all right, this is this is a bit more nuanced than I'm usually prone to uh, on this show. But, but, you know, I think that the IPL did a good thing to keep going. You know, India, the, uh, there is so much death, so much destruction, so much sadness, and we know how much cricket is, is loved there. I think having um, some joy to come to and see uh, – well, not come to, to, to see on TV – Made it worthwhile. I, look, I suspect Simon is right about uh, where some of the donation monies came from. Although I think Pat Cummins spoke brilliantly, by the way, when he when he was uh, was talking up uh, how how everyone could help. Um, yeah, I, I think I think once once the bubble burst, they had to postpone it. Um, look, honestly, I think the the real villain of this piece is the Australian government saying that they they uh, wouldn't bring. And I, this is not about cricketers. That they wouldn't bring Australians home. Yeah, um, that was and, unbelievable. Which includes our cricketers, I think is just that's there's there's the villainy in this piece. But if
0: any good come out came out of that, it was getting Michael Slater fired up. Yes. <laughs> oh, calling telling the Prime Minister he had quote unquote blood on his hands. Pretty sure you need people dead at least before you can make that clean claim. Um,
1: Challenging him to a debate, I saw, as yes, well. Yes, and,
0: and also um, telling him to get on his private jet and come over and see the death, or something like the death and destruction.
1: Um, Skoma might have to speak to Jenny first and take yeah. take her temperature.
0: So, um, yeah, that, that, that was a bit of a highlight for me, seeing Slats tee off. Um, but, yeah, look, interesting because the the um, they're looking to to start it up again, I think, in September, the, the latest thing that I came across. Uh, but, of course, the 2020 World Cup is supposed to be held there from mid-October, mid-October to mid-November. Of course, it was going to be held in Australia in 2020, uh, <laughs> and, we, and that didn't happen. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, whether that whether that comes it, off.
3: It, it is a it is a, a nuanced situation. I, mean, it, I, I take Simon's point, and I, I think for the administrators, it would be, I think, very difficult to get the timing on a decision like that right we talk about the money and uh, and the profit and i'm i'm sure that was a factor but the ipl is a big operation it's supporting a lot of people in india there's the the bcci there's all of the clubs there's a lot of people in india who depend on the ipl for their livelihoods. so for them to turn off the tap stop the tournament it's it's that's not necessarily an easy call to make did they get the timing right I don't know but they did wait until the bubble burst once the bubble burst I guess they you know the it it was inevitable that they had to make the
2: decision what do you think the chances are that the uh the IPL will get finished in Australia and maybe the World Cup too
0: uh well UAE I think they are talking about they're lining up the UAE to see because that's where the IPL was held last year uh in 2020 and, um, yeah, apparently, right, it's $540 million US dollars in revenue just without the fans. Um, yeah, so I suspect that's probably more likely to happen because that's, that's, that's got precedent. Yeah, no,
2: that makes sense. I think that makes sense that they finished the IPL there.
1: I thought one of the uh, the more interesting things in, re- in recent times was watching um, the charter flight that was arranged for all of the Aussies. So there's a bunch of uh, all the commentators, the players... Have basically been repatriated uh, and they've been flown to the Maldives. Maldives, yeah. That's a a hardship tour for them, isn't it? It is, isn't it? It's 10 days in the Maldives while they they wait.
0: Undermine slats is uh, firing off when you're sitting there on the beach in the Maldives. Yeah, well done. Uh, All right, well, we'll wait to see whether that gets uh, back up and running and what happens with the 2020 World Cup. Onto the shootout now, where we cover a few more topics in uh, slightly faster fashion. want to kick off with rugby. Now, you might recall last show, we had a bit of a chat about the, uh, the private equity filtering into sport generally, and we had a bit of a focus on both New Zealand and, and uh, Australian rugby, and it's worth revisiting that story, because since we last spoke, New Zealand has actually committed to selling 12.5% of the commercial rights uh, to Silver Lake, a private equity firm. And that will land them 400 million New Zealand dollars, 400 mil. Um, so you can understand the temptation there. Now, of course, uh, again, as we as we talk here, it's subject to players' approval, uh, which sounds like it's going to be quite the sticking point. I like how the players have put forward a couple of other proposals. One's about sort of going into debt, which uh, NZRU have dismissed out of hand. Another is suggesting 5% of public ownership, which I would have thought a bit more palatable, but uh, that apparently is not particularly favourable. Um, but yeah, so um, uh, unprecedented kind of move, getting a, a private company involved in the commercial rights of of rugby.
1: And Silverlake has some interesting background, don't they? Because they're, um, I think they've got close connections with IMG, but they also, I think, um, own a, a large chunk of Man City. So it's not their first foray into sports ownership. Mhm. Mhm. The
0: tennis, yeah, and wine.
2: then
0: UFC. Oh, good grief! USC, wow. <laughs>
2: Uh, Look, they're going to have to be good at uh, mixed martial arts if they're going to pull off this deal. I I don't think there is any way this gets through. Um, I think it's a lovely idea, but they're the wrong buyer. Uh, I actually think Australian rugby will end up doing a deal with Andrew Forrest or an Australian private equity organisation, but selling a percentage of the All Blacks to an American private equity firm. You know what, Dave, you could comment on this. It reeks of European super league. (laughs)
0: <laughs> to be clear, it's not the All Blacks. It's the commercial rights that New Zealand Rugby holds, which includes the All Blacks.
3: Yeah, and it's 12.5% of yeah. those broadcasting rights, which will be... New Zealand Rugby will transfer the broadcasting rights into a separate company, and Silver Lake will own 12.5% of that company. I actually think it's it's quite creative. Uh, mm. I, d- I don't have an issue with it at all. I, I'm sure Silver Lake are smart enough not to mess with the product too much. <laughs> I know you dis- you're going to disagree with this, Stephen, but that's, <laughs> um, that's- <laughs> no, no.
2: I, I, look, I, I think you know money talks, right? And I, I think there's something about this is going to work. I'm but, just amazed but, that you're so anti-European Super League, but you think this is creative. What well,
3: is? I think it's I think it's slightly different. Um, mm. but,
1: I it's but, very, but I think it's very different. But I think on your team here, Dave, <laughs> I, th-
3: I think if you if you're talking about this option versus taking on debt from a bank, the the terms and conditions that you enter into with your lender aren't going to be any more friendly than the terms and conditions you enter into with with the Silver Lake.
2: And no, no, they're not. This this money this money will change things because it'll come with caveats. And you know what? 70 percent of it will go to players, and it'll go to a particular group of players, and it'll start to you know, rip at the fabric of of the All Blacks. New Zealand knows this. It, this won't go through,
0: mm, which is why the players are objecting. See the heritage risk and all that sort of stuff, but this is where Australia's heading, right? So Rugby Australia, they had dessert, pretty ordinary um, annual results came came out recently, and um, Hamish McLennan, right? Yeah, right. name for a second. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, was pretty upfront. said they're not great, and we need to do something about it. And said pretty openly that we're heading in the same direction. Twelve and a half percent. We're in discussions. We're open to it. Um, you know, I think they're they're not just talking about it. They're they're clearly talking to specific parties who. Will be able to um, to come up with some money and and rather interesting caller, an Andrew Forrest or an, an individual because uh, he would clearly have the financial firepower. You'd imagine he uh, has an interest in rugby or he's demonstrated interest in rugby. Do you think that's a, a realistic possibility? I,
2: I, I think I think it'll work in Australia, whereas I don't think it'll work in New Zealand because you'll get you'll get a groundswell of opposition in New Zealand that you won't get in mm. Australia because uh, a, an enormous amount of the the rugby demography is actually um, white collar and and, I actually think there's a fit
3: Mm. yeah and and I think the players will just be happy to get paid in
0: Australia (laughs) 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 Um, but look for me it's it's not going to make red card yellow card but I did love uh, Hamish's description of those results he said at the end of the day it is what it is how's that for vacuous great work (laughs) Hamish nice one All right, moving on. Uh, The NRL. uh, Is there a sport in Australia that that tries harder to be American? I've always said this about the rugby rugby league. I don't know. It's just, I don't know the cheerleaders, the premiership rings. I hate it. Anyway, now they're trying to have a conference system. Or they're talking about having a conference system, I suppose. I don't know. I I, I don't think it'll wash. I don't think the fans will like it. I don't don't think there's enough reason to do it.
1: I I, I love it. Yeah, and um, I think it's a fantastic idea. Well, I'll tell you why. Please explain. I think it's actually dressed up as, and and I think this makes sense as part of the NRL's expansion program. So currently we have 16 clubs, and that's been the case for a very long time. But there's always been a push to get some more clubs on board. Bring back the bears. Don't know if the bears are coming back, (laughs) but the new clubs are likely to be one, one from New Zealand, so another uh, team from New Zealand, and another one from Brisbane, and realistically with the draw. The only way you can do that if you've got 18 clubs is to break it up into conferences. It also has the advantage Well, hang on.
0: Sorry, mate. The AFL has 18 clubs and they don't need conferences. Well... But go on.
1: The the second point, which I think is particularly rugby league, uh, and it focuses on their strengths, is the tribal aspect of rugby league. And so what they're looking at doing is having two conferences. One will be Sydney-based clubs, Sydney versus the rest. And so that'll capitalise on... Um, the rivalries that you have from all of the older clubs who've been around since 1908 and the more recent ones, they mm. get to play each other home and away twice. Um, and then the rest you just play once and that's enough for a full season. And then you, as part of that conference system, you'll have four from Conference 1, four from Conference 2. You have your final eight, and away you go. I think it's a really, really smart idea.
0: So you'll still play teams from the other conference?
1: Just the ones, though.
0: Okay, okay. I'm coming around. The really?
3: only thing I wasn't sure about was with the final series. It seems like you would have at the end of a long 25-game season. It is a bit longer, you would, yeah. You would then have three rounds of finals and no second chance for the teams finishing first and second in each conference. That seemed a bit strange to me, mm-hmm. and maybe they need to kind of rethink how that would work.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, one of the good things league does is they can tweak things very quickly and they change um, rules and those sorts of approaches from season to season. So I'm sure they'll be open to that. I give um, I give them full kudos, yeah, Steve.
0: there must be a lot of opinion on this down in Melbourne.
2: <laughs> no, look, I think Simon's nailed it. You know, they're they're going to change this after you know two seasons when it fails abysmally. Um, the, the interesting thing about this will be what happens with the, the Sydney clubs. Yeah, it's it's all well and good to think this is going to attract some sort of mythical, ancient tribal culture. But, you know, that having 6,000 people watching, you know, the, the Tigers play the Eels is uh, is as good as it's going to get. They need the Storm. <laughs> they need the Broncos. They need Canberra to draw the crowds. And so after about two seasons of this, the Sydney clubs will rebel and say, actually, we'd like a different system. So... Good on them. It's a good. I, I do like the way they are innovating, but I think this is uh, if they pull it, if they go this way, they'll change it within two years.
1: Not sure you're entitled to have an opinion, Rails. But being down in Melbourne, but I do like um, how strident you're being tonight. This is uh is good to see.
0: He's on fire, isn't he? Yes. Uh, he is. Uh, now, look, on to the Olympics. Uh, just, I'm looking forward to a show where we don't talk about some sport that's been affected by COVID somehow. The uh, irresistible force, of course, that is the Olympics, looks like it will go ahead again as we speak, uh, if 12 months delayed. Uh, and with all sorts of logistical and medical considerations, surely that are probably worth of a medal uh, of themselves. But, look, I want to cut straight to the most important issue of all when it comes to the Olympics, and I turn to you, Dave, as our fashion expert. What do you make of the Aussie uniforms, as they were showcased recently.
3: Simon's going to be so upset about that.
0: Oh, and, and look, I know, we've had this before. I think you're the commentator. Jono's the exponent. Like you know, oh, Jono's, so, right. Jono's the wearer. You're the observer. I'm happy. That, that's where I make that distinction.
3: I'm happy to take on the mantle. I, I, I'm a fan. I like the simplicity. Um, I like the clean lines. I think it's... <laughs> it's <See? laughs> I think it could be quite slimming, which I think the shot putters oh, and yes, hammer throws. Ma- Oh, we'll, we'll appreciate it <laughs> i also i like the earthy dark green and i know the yellow is going to be controversial it's it's not australian gold it's probably more canary yellow but i think it sets off really well against that earthy dark green so 10 <laughs> out of 10
2: i'm so glad i asked you Gilly. it's the wiggles, it's the wiggles <laughs> dancing with my friend we look forward to cheering our yellow wiggles at the olympics when it gets Rescheduled for 2022,
0: <laughs> John. Oh, are champion! Oh, look,
1: no, I'm I'm with Dave. I think they look fantastic. It did call to mind some of the more garish or ugly uniforms of years gone by, and you can't go past the 1984 LA Games one. I I managed to click through and have a, a another look. Ken Donuts inspired. I don't think it was Ken Donuts mm. who designed it, but <laughs> they certainly had that air of them. There were emus <laughs> and kookaburras and really bright yellows and big collars, but um, yeah, this one, they, they nail it. I think. I think
0: it is a bit slim in Gilly, at least that's what I thought. But then I thought, hang on a tick, these athletes, they're probably actually pretty slim. Should <laughs> <laughs> be Pretty good, Nick. Uh, look, just on the other side of the Olympics coin is the uh, boycott discussions for of Beijing 2022. Um, have, have boycotts ever worked? Uh, it's sort of been done a bit at the Olympic level, 84, uh, 80 and 84 famously, Russia and America tit for tat. Is there any value in boycotting the Olympics? Is there any, any any winners in that? I think it, it it worked
3: when the US boycotted the Moscow Olympics. I don't think the US really cared when when the Soviet Union boycotted the LA Olympics. How it would impact China, I'm not sure. Um, they won't like it. They it, they that the, 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 it, it will be a, a heavy um, slap in in the face. You think um, it's realistic? I, d- I, I think it's it's not impossible. I've heard some people call it likely. I think that's maybe going a bit too far. And I think the the focus right now on the US side and the China side is the economy in 2021. If we have a, a good world economy at the end of 2021 and the relationship continues on the trajectory that it's on right now, then I think it becomes fairly likely.
0: Too much money in it, too much money for sp- sponsors and in particular networks. Uh, it won't happen. You heard it here first. And now we move on to our favourite part of the show, red card, yellow card, where uh, we uh, enjoy poking fun at misdemeanours of sports people and uh, bring back in the spotlight that which they wish we had forgotten. And uh, where are we going to start? Jono, what have you got for us?
1: Yeah, Richie, I've got something. It's a bit of a story that's been dominating the headlines in recent times. <laughs> Taking COVID, the IPL, Married at First Sight off the front pages. Um, it's Stewie SCG McGill mm. and the mysterious uh, kidnapping yes. incident. Yes, yes, yes. And you yes. probably might ask, why would Stewie be nominated for something like this? He hasn't done anything wrong, you would think. Well, we'll just have to see what comes out in the fullness of time. Uh, but he certainly has been caught up in a pretty dodgy scenario. A month or so ago, Stewie found himself kidnapped at gunpoint as you do, from that hotbed suburb of criminal activity Neutral Bay yep, yep. by four armed men. Turns out that one of the alleged kidnappers was the brother of his former girlfriend and also the owner of the Greek restaurant in Neutral Bay that Stewie managed. Have you, been, you, following?
0: In a, have you been in that Greek restaurant, John? I
1: think we've both been to that. So I think in the spirit <laughs> of um, you know podcasting integrity and full disclosure, we should... Confirm that we have been there. Aristotle's it was called. Mm, the difference being he he was
0: there when you went, and I was so ticked off that he wasn't he was, there.
1: He was the maitre d. He was full of good stories. Um, served some great tiramisu, <laughs> lamb shoulder. <laughs> recommended a few nice shiraz. Uh, managed to get a good selfie with him at the end of the night. It was fantastic. But look. Um, I digress. Um, <laughs> Is there a nomination in you somewhere? Oh, look, I think yellow card. I do feel a bit sorry for Stewie. He's obviously had a very rough month or so. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to be back in Aristotle. I have a quick
2: question for you, though, Simon. Yeah. Was he, was he really kidnapped at gunpoint, or did they just offer him a glass of red to get in the van? <laughs> yeah,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> uh, a bit harsh. Gilly, get us out of here.
3: Rochi, I've got a kind of retrospective red card, yellow card, mm. if that's okay. So that's Nikita right. Nikita Mazapin, new formula of new Haas's oh, new Formula yes, One yes, driver. Yes, okay. So he's a he's a pay driver, which means that he's there more because of the, his connections it's with the sponsor brings, than yeah. necessarily his driving skill. And he had a bit of a, a bit of a shocker um just before the Formula One season started, involved inappropriately touching a female companion in a non-consensual way, uh, and then he thought it would be funny to record this on video, and he thought it would be even funnier to upload that video Mm. onto Instagram. Absolute disaster. Uh, Terrible public apology, very scripted, didn't sound very sincere. So there's a little bit of um, kind of schadenfreude, and um, belief in, in karmic cycles in terms of how things have worked out for Nikita at the, the start of the Formula One season.
0: Not particularly well.
3: Not very well. He's been slow. He's crashed a lot. He's ignored blue flags. He's he's irritated all of his competitors and he's sort of becoming the new mobile chicane. Do
0: you remember Ricardo Petrese? Yeah, Patresi one of them. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, Peter Pit- yeah. Martini. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So
3: I think the karmic cycles have, have worked well there and I'm gonna um nominate Nikita for a mm. red flag. He is in a rubbish car as well, which doesn't help. The it- Haas
0: is the new Williams
3: I think he was two seconds slower in qualifying against uh, his, his teammate. teammate oh, okay,
0: yeah. Well, money talks, as we've talked about a lot in this uh, in this program. So you bring sponsorship dollars, it gets him a bit of leeway. I uh, want to talk about the Sydney Sixers. The Sydney Sixers general manager Jody Hawkins is no longer part of that organisation due to a restructure at Cricket New South Wales. Notwithstanding the fact that they have just taken back-to-back title, back to back title, a big bash titles. Now that seems a bit odd. Now, while that could be the nomination itself, I'm taking it a step further. I'm still nominating the Cricket New South Wales CEO, Lee Gurman, who uh, obviously was in charge of the restructure, but it's for this utter corporate verbiage that he sprouted in the announcement. So it was in a staff email. He said, as a result of this review, the resol- the roles sorry, of GM of the Thunder and also of the Sixers have been disestablished. How How <laughs> egregious a word is that? Disestablished. And I was disappointed to see Microsoft Word accepted it as a word. And it is actually a word. I looked, had to look it up a bit.
1: It's not uh, a word. Disestablished. It is, apparently. It, it is?
0: It, yes, it is a word. Oh, yeah. It tends to relate more to churches, though, and separating church from state.
2: Well, uh, actually, Paul, I'm a little bit surprised you didn't know that because I do remember it many, many years ago, and you can show off in just one oh, moment okay, when I set you, you up for yeah, it. Yeah, Good. That there was only one word that was as long as anti disestablishmentarianism. Yes. Well and that was floxy noxy nearly hilly Damn, I always oh, pulled that off. Gee, and the, how do you spell it, Paul?
0: The internet connection's a bit bad there, Steve. Yeah, look, I mean, you've stolen my line. So I was going to say that, to whoever, uh, if you think that Jody should have kept a job, then that puts you firmly in the camp of anti disestablishmentarianism, uh, which I learnt recently <laughs> is actually relates to to disestablishmentarianism is a movement trying to separate church from state in, in England. Wow. And anti mm-hmm. is obviously the opposition to that. Yeah, phloxenostomy, pillification. Thanks, Ross. And on that note, <laughs> 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 it's time to end the show. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, what Steve? Is,
2: what does that really long word mean, To set
0: Paul? To set little or no value. It has less syllables in the definition than it does in the word
2: itself. Get that India. you uh, you, you, could, you couldn't end the show in a more profound That's way. That's right. This yes, <laughs>
0: you are. Or oh, still on for and against, folks. We are still a sports show, but I think it's definitely time to go. So, <laughs> thanks, Riley. See you later. Oh, my pleasure. Goodbye, John O. See, See you next time, Richie and Dave Gill. Goodbye to you too. I feel like I've been fifteen rounds with Mike
3: Tyson <laughs> with tonight, a <dictionary>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll give you a cuddle after show.
0: Oh, and goodbye taking. from me, Paul Roach, Apollo for those those last minute. Don't forget, it's on Twitter, on Insta. Try for and against. Uh, we'll be back to do it all again in a month's time. Until then, it's bye for now.